we believe that the future, you know, that we're enabling is one of always on intelligence, you know, empowerment at the point of decision uh, that is always on and is always getting smarter, more intelligent and growing over time and also makes us more connected. So we can predict and understand things that might be happening two or three tiers further up in the supply chain. Hello everyone, I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and thanks for listening to The Optimistic Outlook. We've heard recent predictions calling for at least six more months of semiconductor shortages. In our last episode with Dave Gross explored how we can advance a long-term solution many are now calling for, which is increasing domestic chip production. I'll say that Siemens was energized to hear the good news after we recorded that episode that Intel is investing in a new semiconductor plant in Ohio. Now, in our last episode, we looked at things more from the manufacturing side. Today, I'll share with you a conversation I had with another expert, Richard Barnett, the chief marketing officer of SupplyFrame, who can help us understand the complexity of the supply chain itself and how to make it more resilient. SupplyFrame is a software company recently acquired by Siemens to support our own efforts to digitalize the supply chain. And Richard's gonna help us understand some of the terms we've been hearing recently, like trusted traceability, and help us see the potential for digital transformation. I'll add quickly that I first talked to Richard for a thought leadership event on supply chain convened by Washington Post Live. That was an eight minute segment, and I thought it would be valuable to have a little more time to tap into his expertise. By the way, check out our show notes for information on an upcoming Washington Post Live event we're sponsoring that will bring together experts on smart cities. Okay, take a listen. Richard, thanks so much for joining the podcast. My pleasure. Great to, great to join you again, Barbara. I'm willing to guess that throughout your entire career, you've never heard so many people talking about supply chains and specifically broken supply chains. So I want to test out a little theory on you as we begin this discussion. Here it is. This isn't the first time we've had shortages of critical items or the first time we've recognized flaws in the supply chain. The difference today is there's now this broad consensus that we can no longer accept how we've been doing this. This time we need to focus on reinventing supply chains for the future. How does that sound? I think that sounds very accurate. Uh, and it's interesting how accurate that is across multiple different contexts of supply chains, because you can say the exact same point of view, but it's not just say in electronics, it could be in uh, you know, construction and lumber, and it could be you know, in the normal consumer products and retail experiences that we had. And, and you know, it, it, it's so pervasive right now where you see market volatility, uh, fragile sort of weak links in the supply chains or value chains of many industries. And the silver lining here is that it's increasing uh, a lot of awareness of you know, the opportunity maybe for better, deeper transformation change that will make um, you know, supply chains more uh, resilient, uh, increase transparency and collaboration and control, and really set the agenda for, for uh, for investment and alignment to, you know, maybe addressing issues that have sort of uh, not been in focus before, or just haven't reached the level of priority that uh, that have allowed, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of what we're seeing revealed uh, persist for maybe too long. And and I think that that specific analysis is is different as you dive into these different value chains. But there's a pattern there, like you're saying, that's that's very very consistent. 
Yeah, well, and great. Before we start diving in then, I do want to examine the challenge. And Richard, I recall in one interview I did when the supply chain topic came up, the interviewer asked me, is this a real problem? And that moment really made me realize there can be a disconnect here. If you're looking at this uh, through the lens of consumer goods, the challenge here really centers on critical electronic components, semiconductors, as yeah. we've highlighted in our last episode. What's unique about the challenges we face today compared to those in previous decades? We have absolutely reached what I call peak supply chain awareness, uh, you know, in the last year or so, which, you know, after 25, 30 years of, you know, sort of being in supply chains and being super curious and, and understanding kind of the depth of uh, complexity that we see, you know, as it may be an expert or someone has really focused on these issues. And I think that, you know, the there's this other question though of, well, if I can still get goods and products at my local grocery store, I can still buy something on you know, Amazon, let's say, right? Then are we really in a supply chain shortage? Like what's happening here? And I think that's you know, the other element that you're kind of drawing on there when, when you get challenged by, is this really an issue or how long is this really an issue? And um, unfortunately, you know, when, when we look at not just say electronics and uh, related downstream industries, but even other categories that <clears throat> we, uh, uh, these issues in many ways are pervasive and uh, the outlook is one of uh, sort of continued, uh, you know, risk factors, increasing volatility, uh, you know, to, to manage and deal with. So we are, we are in kind of a tr an overall transition point um, where, uh, yeah, the, you know, we're going to see the impact of this in different ways. Uh, if you go to an automotive dealership, you're going to see, um, you know, automotive dealer lots and inventories at an all-time low in for every major OEM, uh, regardless of kind of, you know, the sort of, um, you know, whether it's a truck or a passenger vehicle or whatever, you know, your price point range is, it's everyone's impacted. A lot of those situations that we find ourselves in actually can be related to, in many ways, electronics component shortages somehow that are kind of upstream, uh, you know, for those products or services. So it's, it's, it's really a testament to how pervasive the use of electronics content whether it's you know semiconductor chips or it's passives and resistors or memory or you know power management devices, all of this is has now been uh, embedded in uh, to make you know devices and hardware and services that we use more connected, more intelligent, uh, and therefore you know we have these unexpected issues. Yeah, I remember you saying something when you and I last discussed uh, the some of these issues for a Washington Post Live event. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that there continues to be a lot of focus on ensuring adequate inventory, right? Let's let's make sure the products we need are out there, and that the market intelligence provided by SupplyFrame helps companies do that. But now you're talking about some other areas of untapped potential that comes in the product design phase. Yeah. Help us understand more deeply what you're referring to. Well, I think one of the one of the um, ways to e easily understand this is as you know, every time a company really brings a new product design, maybe a you know you know new really a new product to market. In the design phase, what they're also bringing to market is an absolutely new supply chain. It's the full supply chain that's supporting that you know production and then maybe even aftermarket service for that product, uh, for that consumer, for that business. And um, you know what's we just recently did a study uh, with Lifecycle Insights that looked at kind of you know how is this trend uh, you know playing out. Uh, and some of the takeaways were really fascinating. I mean, we're seeing that product complexity is increasing. So a lot of the you know, hardware used, you know, electronics, uh, you know, is getting more complex, more, more um, sort of 
you know, dense designs that, you know, or system level designs are, you know, trying to put more and more capability into one uh, form factor. And, and that sometimes is increasing, you know, on average, uh, 20 to 30% year over year, additional new suppliers, additional new components being designed into a similar product. That speed of complexity and growth is, is something that uh, is really hard to understand, but you can kind of start thinking about, well, if I'm gonna get to the root cause, of how I'm thinking about the health of a products over this life cycle or the health of, you know, how I'm servicing a, an entire market, it really starts in that design phase. That's really where, you know, you're locking in essentially the life cycle kind of costs and risks of a product and you're sort of setting up that supply chain that may be in operation for years to come, you know, based on that initial product design. So there's like we talked about earlier, there's some new thinking emerging around, you know, the challenges everyone's facing. And, and, and part of that is going to going to fundamentals. It's going to those root cause, uh, you know, areas of focus, because <clears throat> if you can solve it there, it makes everything easier for everyone on, uh, you know, over time on the back end. And, and I think that's where there's really a huge opportunity for further innovation. So people sort of redesigning for simplicity in the supply chain might be part of this. Yeah. People designing for more flexible components that can be mm. mixed and matched more readily. Right. And it, those are all things we can do. But, but then once you've got that product and now it has a life cycle from mm -hmm. supplier to end product to, to service, there's another term we've been hearing about, which is trusted traceability. Explain to our audience what it means and why it's such an important priority. Well, this is an area of innovation also that's fascinating for me because you've sort of seen the ability to look at, um, okay, how do I understand all the different parts or you know the sort of key uh, products that are maybe highly regulated or are highly valuable uh, or you know critical in terms of their their state, right? Their temperature, their, you know, you know, make sure we understand exactly where it's been. You know, all of those, those needs, right, over time evolved into new forms of investment around just traceability. So if we have a recall, if we have a, a quality assurance problem, if we're testing things downstream, we can trace back exactly to where that point of failure was or exactly where the tracing of, of where there was maybe a quality incursion event. Um, you know, that became much more common, uh, you know, to, to kind of build out more of these information models. But with trusted transparency and traceability, what we're seeing now is ways to leverage new digital technologies like IoT devices or sensors that, that can be placed and combined in the context, right? So we can understand, you know, tagging what's happening with the product with maybe the container or the box or the vehicle or the vessel that it's on and understand maybe the temperature, the control, the, the ambient environment that that, that product is, is experiencing while it's in transit, for example, and then as it's received or stored. So you're getting a lot more ambient information that's not just chain of custody, like who bought or sold this, where was it maybe at some period of time, but you're actually able to, you know, oftentimes monitor this you know, in some cases in near real time, you know, with automatic kind of always updated, always on sensors and information. Now, if you start combining that with the digital twin or the IP or the design of that product uh, over time and how that information is maybe used 
by a third-party manufacturer. You know, we can trace where the sources of supplies, you know, where it was stored, but now we also know that any of the design work that was used uh, that is, 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 is validated and is true to the original specification or requirement that was required. So we're getting so much smarter and so much more intelligent about, you know, not just the traceability and transparency of product and supply chains, but also the context of what's happening to those products uh, in motion, and then making sure that the IP and maybe security elements that we want to make sure are in place are also validated. And, and I know that Siemens has been really, you know, at the center point of innovation in this area. And, and you know, electronics, we see that that's really critical because you have so many issues around, um, you know, now, particularly now when you have such a supply constraint, you have sort of components that are going through non-traditional channels. You know, companies are trying to rebalance their own inventory. They're going through brokers. When I receive that, I want to test it now and make sure that it's you know, it's exactly as I need it to be, right? If I'm going to embed it into an assembly of an electronic product. And uh, and that's really expensive to do manually. I mean, to manually test every component as it's received before you start putting onto a manufacturing line uh, is very expensive, but many companies are having to make those investments because there's no easy way for them to trace the the the, um, the source of that supply or make sure that the IP, et cetera, is, is correct. And so, um, I think we're going to see huge demand, uh, you know, for for more of this implementation of these capabilities. You know, again, not just within a company, but across entire supply chains over time. Yeah, this is exciting. You know, Richard, uh, with all these new capabilities, and they are digital now. Does that mean there are cybersecurity implications we have to consider? Absolutely. You know, unfortunately, you know, one of the um, interesting dynamics as we continue to innovate and explore uh, new forms of, uh, you know, smart connected devices, uh, you know, digital kind of components around traceability uh, is that oftentimes we're combining software systems, for example, or embedded software intelligence and devices on top of hardware in a more integrated way, you know, and, and this generally is uh, you know, opens up, uh, you know, all forms of new uh, innovation, whether it's in transportation systems, for example, or, you know, in, in you know, uh, uh, in healthcare, in, you know, in, in other, you know, kind of consumer uh, experiences that we want to make our lives easier, simpler, et cetera. Um, there, there's, a, there's a risk and a cost associated with that. And, and that has to do with uh, cybersecurity uh, risk. And so when we, when we look at you know, different forms of intrusion, right? You know, how we are exposed, uh, you know, both say in a network, on a computer network, or, you know, when we're thinking about the context of the device and the device as used, whether that's, you know, for example, uh, you know, mobility services inside of new, you know, electronic vehicle platforms, for example, which are coming kind of just, just now coming to market. Um, you know, and that's going to be a platform that will continue to innovate. Or, you know, if we look at the risks of more connected supply chains, uh, where you have more integration between, say, suppliers and their manufacturers, then the 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 um, uh, the exposure extends to where those those threats or those vulnerabilities are for some form of cyber attack, and that cyber attack can take different forms of you know accessing backdoor channels to access information. It could be to you know put malicious code you know into a software network that's hard to identify that could have. Uh, you know, a downstream risk or an impact, whether it's intentional or something, you know, intentional sort of, you know, um, you know, then then we have to really think, uh, you know, constantly innovate around where those potential threats are coming from. And then how do we have, uh, you know, as best as possible ways to monitor 
uh, and then you know intersect uh, you know those threats or to change where the vulnerabilities are in a more dynamic way over time. And and this and the mindset in this area is really interesting because you're never done, you're never 100%, you're never complete. You know it, it is it is a constantly evolving and a constant sort of continuous improvement mindset as well. Um, you know, and there's, and, and the, you know, there's a silver lining there, which is that I think that mindset and that level of thinking is, is really healthy. Uh, you know, it, it introduces a lot of um, awareness and focus and kind of rethinking kind of, okay, you know, as we, as we launch new digital products or services and the networks and the supply chains around them, let's, let's add in new thinking around security. All right. So Richard, I, I absolutely understand. I, I accept the risk I have to manage, but I'm now putting you in charge of helping us resolve the supply chain issues, help us ensure that we don't have this kind of disruption again. What are the new ways of doing things and what are Siemens and supply frame offering as part of the solution? It's, it's a great question. And honestly, Barbara, I think it's the right question for many senior leaders to be asking their teams, um, you know, involved in supply chain, involved in engineering, et cetera, uh, across the board, because, um, you know, it's the only way that we make sure we're not in this situation again is by rethinking a little bit where those leverage points are, where, where do we need to get better? Uh, and then, and then how do we, um, uh, you know, empower, you know, better decision-making and, and shared collaboration across, you know, your supply chain to make sure that we can, you know, either, uh, you minimize the impact of, of, you know, market trends that we don't have control over or major externalities like weather events or other things, um, you know, where, where are those leverage points? And I think we were talking about this earlier, but a big area of focus needs to be in rethinking all of the decisions that happen in the new product introduction and the design uh, stage for these products, because that's really the starting point. That's the sort of where a lot of these decisions get locked in. Uh, and then we're reacting to or trying to unwind sometimes, you know, decisions which may have been suboptimal or not informed, uh, you know, enough, uh, you know, later on. And so I call this the tail wagging the dog problem, you know, where supply chain procurement uh, teams feel like they're sort of, you know, catching what the engineering teams have locked in and their new designs, and then they're trying to fix things after the fact. And, there, and there's some of that amount of that that's normal, um, but what we're, what we, what's being exposed is sort of this um, autonomy that has been existing in a lot of organizations for a long time, uh, where the same um, criteria for success, if you will, the same KPIs or objectives for engineering teams when they're going through and launching new products to drive new revenue, there, there's, there's sometimes an overly weighted view of, is it, did I, did I solve for the design goals? And did I select the most reliable, the highest quality parts and components that go into that design? Uh, it's not enough. Now we need to add into that criteria and work cross-functionally to say, and what is that supply chain that I'm also designing in behind that product? Uh, how, what are the risks associated with it? You know, what, what are the cost implications? Can I build in flexibility, right? So, if I'm, um, you know, making a little bit more of an investment in qualifying two separate suppliers that have a similar set of parts that I can use in the design, maybe I need to make that investment up front because the cost of requalifying after the fact is 10 times higher. And, you know, a big part of that conversation also needs to involve finance and rethinking how are we measuring uh, you know, the kind of silos of success in these different groups? How am I looking at cost? How am I looking at risk? And in a lot of ways, you know, the, the, um, there's, a, there's a lot of, of kind of built-in opportunities for better 
uh, decision-making, better alignment, you know, if, if we can incent the teams and then figure out ways to digitally enable them to uh, collaborate at scale. And we know that no company is an island anymore. You know, many of our manufacturers are part of an interconnected web, uh, you know, of, of partners and dependencies on, on manufacturers, you know, as we've sort of you know, become more specialized. We're not, we're not Ford anymore back in the day, you know, building one integrated factory that's, you know, two miles long. We've got a globalized supply chain. So thinking outside in is really important. And what are the new forms of intelligence that are required? And so supply frame, uh, you know, and Siemens, you know, for years have been in improving uh, maybe the quality of engineering design, you know, speed of engineering design decisions, you know, the ability to simulate and add new ways of of testing and, and simulating, uh, you know, material and product, for example, for increasingly specialized applications, um, and we've made huge advancements there. You know, at Supply Frame, we've we've been kind of working with a network of um, of all the key players in in, a, in the electronics value chain, from component suppliers and semiconductor companies through distributors, and then the manufacturers that are you know making making decisions around and working through and understanding what's happening in those markets. And a lot of that's been around engineering engagement and supply chain engagement. But what we've done is very recently over the last couple of years is really, you know, distilled a lot of those billions of signals that we're capturing every, you know, every month on, across this network and distilling in what are the insights that are the most valuable. So, and what we find is if you bring that intelligence, the kind of the hard engineering information that's needed with the market context and the digital twin of that part component that's constantly being updated all the time, then you can really empower someone to make better decisions when they're empowered to like pick a component and put it on that design or when you're about to look at the new product introduction and launch to market everyone's working off of the same source of information yeah so richard what you're telling us is that there is this digital thread that runs through our processes and we've been building intelligence bringing new tools to the engineers so they can uh, really take advantage of the best knowledge of materials and approaches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is you're bringing market intelligence right into that engineering shop so that now an engineer can be making total life cycle decisions right at their desk. So the power of the digital twin connected into the digital thread is enabling us to do things we've never done before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So with all that said, I love to end every episode with a vision of the future. Assuming we're successful in actually implementing uh, the things that you're talking about today, what does that mean for our future? And so we believe that the future you know, that we're enabling is one of always on intelligence, you know, empowerment at the point of decision uh, that is always on and is always getting smarter, more intelligent and growing over time and also makes us more connected. So we can predict and understand things that might be happening two or three tiers further up in the supply chain, which is what we've been going through is seeing, oh my gosh, we don't have enough foundry capacity. Uh, you know, how are we going to incent or support or accelerate the capital investments that are needed because of this massive demand supply imbalance? at the OEM level, right? And that may be four tiers down in their supply chain, but everyone needs to be on the same page to sort of manage and, and adjust the sort of bullwhip effect that's happening right now, you know? So we can really tamp that down because we're 
dialed in on the same information and we're reacting much faster more with more agility to those changes. So we can't eliminate those changes, but we can reduce the impact that they're having both across our supply chains as well as in the context of a specific product uh, over its life cycle. So that's really the vision, the opportunity for us. And there's, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface right now, honestly, there's so much potential to get better in these, in this area that I, I'm very optimistic actually, that we are going to be much more resilient and learn from this period that we're in, um, in, in very, you know, in, in um, high impact ways. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and that Richard and I were able to bring some clarity to a very complex topic. We continue to hear a lot about how to ensure adequate inventory of critical supplies, but Richard taps into something we've actually talked about quite a bit in this podcast. This question of what if we focus more on digital stockpiles instead of physical? In other words, having a reserve of continually updated designs of the critical products we need to support our economy. Richard reminds us that we have powerful market intelligence we can use to predict future supply trends. Now think about that in combination with a digital twin reserve and a manufacturing base equipped to be more flexible, a manufacturing base capable of matching speed to need. The tools are available to us to make this a reality and we're working on it as we speak at Siemens. We'll have a lot of good information in our show notes. So please go there to learn more and thanks so much for listening. Please follow us on social media and on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you for tuning in.